0: Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And a fun episode for you guys today. Who do we have, Jake? We have Robert Linton and I came across this guy on Instagram, and well, he, one of our listeners suggested. Actually, to me, you're right. Yeah. yeah to, and then
1: I realized, hey, I follow this guy on Instagram yep. as well, and it's just super fascinating because he is doing all these super high end, like space age material p- component builds with like beryllium brake calipers and, and carbon fiber carbon transmissions. fiber transmissions and everything else. And so I I got a hold of him. Like, who is this guy? What is he doing? And it turns out he has the most optioned. 930, the last 930 ever built, that is the most optioned from the factory car that Porsche has ever built. Right. So we talked to him about how that came to be yeah, and, and what kind of drives him to do all these crazy, unique modifications. I think you guys
0: will really like the story. He's an interesting character. And, you know, I think you'll have, you'll hear me ask kind of the question. You'll know what I'm talking about when you're listening to it, but you're going to want to know why. And I think it's a really, really interesting, uh, interesting response. And He's an interesting guy, and I really appreciate it this time. Yeah.
1: Before we get into it, though, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications—all the latest and greatest—sent right to your doorstep. Chris is actually wearing one of their t-shirts right now. I I'm, am. I'm realizing uh, there's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the Petrol Box Basic, which costs less than twenty bucks a month. The Petrolbox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com And be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month.
0: All right, let's get into our interview with Robert Linton.
1: All right, we have Robert Linton joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. Pleasure. Now, Robert, you are, amongst other things, an amazing Porsche fanatic, just with your your collection and what you've done. That's how I kind of came across you with your amazing posts on Instagram and your threads on Renlist, and you're a, a, apparently a self-taught engineer. But before we get into any of that and what you do, I wanted to get into who Robert Linton is. Now, you currently reside in New York. Is that where you're originally from?
2: That's where I'm from.
1: Okay. Now, growing up, did you always have an interest in cars? Is that something that was uh, fostered in your family?
2: Had nothing to do with my family. In fact, we actually didn't even own a car. Oh, wow. Um, no, it's just, it's just something I've always had an interest in. And I've, for some reason, and I can't define why, I've always had an interest in making certain cars better, although there are some cars that I wouldn't even touch. I mean, they were good. There's no reason to change them. And and there's no real rhyme or reason to why this one and not that one. It's, it, it all goes by feeling, as far as I can tell.
0: What was the first car that inspired you to to think that way? Was it something you saw the as a kid car, in New York? or?
2: Uh, it was the first car I bought, which was a Chevy Camaro. And it was just a base Chevy Camaro. I what
1: year was it? Now I'm trying to picture it.
2: Uh, sorry, that's like a 1976 Camaro. Okay. And I worked two jobs a day for several summers to be able to pay for it. But in some ways, that was a really great car. And then, you know, I did minor things. You, you know, you change the shocks. You change things. You change the stereo audio. Uh, put an electronic ignition in, all sorts of silly things. Radial tires. And And I don't know why I did it, but I did it. And that led to the M6 a bunch of years later. Which is still around, and some of the Porsche things, and now you know the Viper, the Demon. um,
0: Now all these um, what you're saying, the things you said you did with your '76 Camaro, those are all things that a lot of guys did.
2: What was absolutely yeah? So
0: what was the transition period from doing stuff that lots of guys did to doing things that one guy does and is and and it's you? (laughs) Like, how do we get from everything to to you?
2: How did we really get from the Camaro to the M6. The absolute truth is, um, I bought this M6, and um, that was about the time that Zymol Wax was starting out, and Zymol Wax um, offered a quote detailing service for fifty dollars a day, right? Literally, so I hired them to come. uh, That's true story, and and they came. The head of Zymol. Whose name is Chuck Bennett, who still owns it. He came with his, actually, he called him technical director, but it was his father-in-law, and they spent. <laughs> well, you know, that's not a bunch too far of off for
0: most people. That the father-in-law <laughs> is the, the technical director. I mean, we could give that title out.
2: Yeah, no, no, and and they used what they called HG cleanse, which is the thing they sort of took dust and dirt off before they put the wax on, and they use a little too much HD cleanse on the panel, the left-hand panel behind the rear window. Some call it a sail panel. Sure. And and it burnt through the paint. Oh. And nobody could quite match the BMW black. And no matter what they did, I saw it. And it just <laughs> bugged me every time. I do too and every time I looked at thing so I called up a guy named Andy Cohen who owned Beverly Hills Motoring at that point who was a big sort of California car scene guy and I said Andy who is the best car painter in the world and he <laughs> said a guy named Junior Conway no this this how it really um happened that Junior Conway who's now he must be 80 years old plus he he's probably one more um um, Concor vents than anybody, and he and he was he probably he's still doing a, a little bit of painting. I think the best car painter out there, right? And so I shipped the car out to Junior Conway, and instead of painting it in normal black paint, it was to be all stripped and painted in something called nitrocellulose lacquer, which was the paint you painted you know dusenbergs and mm-hmm. and Bugattis and I'm I mean the real Bugattis not you know, not the VW version. <laughs> they used to sand it down with, you know, pumice stones, right? And, and it is the blackest black you can get. Wow. But what I didn't quite understand was a junior paint job, as it's known in the kind of trade, is not a few-month thing. To make a long story short, junior had the car for almost four years. Oh, wow. Right? And then the problem became a very simple one. I, I didn't have a car. To take a girl out for on a date—that's the truth. Oh, so this was
0: your only car at the time? You had the M6. It—it
2: was my only car. Okay, okay. And so I decided to go out and buy the bottom of the line Porsche, (laughs) so I could take somebody out in. Right, right. Because I didn't know when the heck Junior Conway would ever give me my car back.
0: So what was the bottom of the line Porsche at the time?
2: I think they called it a Carrara, something or other. Sure, Carrara okay. S maybe. And I, I, and I read I go a. Into a de- Sorry,
1: go ahead. I was just going to introduce this story because you. I read that you you went in the dealer, you wanted this Porsche, but for whatever reason, it didn't have the leather dashboard.
2: There was a good reason they didn't offer them anywhere in, um, in America. They had problems with hot sun because most Porsches then and still are sold in Florida, Texas, California, where the sun is very hot and the sun was, you know, beating down on dashboards and they were curling. Sure. And that's why Porsche made a conscious decision not to sell leather dashboards as he had this huge plastic dashboard, which I found just ugly. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, yeah, I, I just want you to continue along this story. So you're going into the dealership, you can't get your leather dashboard, and this seems to have kind of had a whirlwind effect and snowballed out of control.
2: Well, the, the full story, and by the way, the guy who was my Porsche salesman then still is. <laughs> He's been selling Porsches for like 44 years. He's still my Porsche sales guy. Funny enough, there's Joe Bianco. Now he works sort of part time with, I think, um, a thing called Gold Coast Porsche. But nevertheless, so everybody said I couldn't have um, um, a leather dashboard. I called Porsche Cars North America. They explained this all to me. Couldn't get a leather dashboard. I talked to the president of Porsche Cars North America, then a gentleman named Brian Bowler. Said, couldn't do it. Sorry, right?
0: So, how did you. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How do you get up to this level of person? <laughs> I mean, first you know, we're talking I to the sales him, guy, then we're ta- Oh
2: gosh! I just called him. <laughs> How did you get this guy's phone number?
0: You just look him up in the yellow page or white pages or what?
2: No, no, I I called PCNA and they gave me to him.
0: Huh? So much for privacy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was that simple, right? And Brian Bowler explained to me all about the warranty problems. And, you know, the funny thing was my M6 had a leather dashboard straight from the factory. All leather. Beautiful. Right. And so I'm looking and say, BMW can do it. Why can't Porsche?
0: And what year is this, do you think?
2: That's like 1989.
0: Okay, so it's 89. And this is kind of the tail end of the special wishes Program right. I it mean, is
2: the, it is kind of the tail end. Yeah. Okay. And so I, you know, I couldn't get anywhere, so I decided I'd call Porsche Germany, right? Which who I know nobody there, but I called them, right? And I didn't speak any German, so the operator connected me to a guy named Harry Birch, who was in what they called the USA sales department. And Harry Birch had one major virtue: he spoke English. <laughs> but I didn't speak German, <laughs> right? And so I talked to Harry Burks, and Harry Bergst said, well, we do leather dashboards all the time, is what he told me. Okay. So, and so I'm like, okay, if you do leather dashboards all the time, what about me? So the long and the short of it, I sat down and I wrote, and I might even still have a copy of it. I haven't looked for a long time. A rather long letter, and I addressed it to, indeed, Herr Professor Dr. Engineer Ferdinand Porsche, meaning Dr. Porsche himself.
0: Right. Okay, so you realize this all seems pretty crazy, right? (laughs) It's true, though, right? Uh, This is all pretty crazy. This is a a lot of links to go through to just get a leather dashboard. Well, no,
2: to get a
1: girl to go on
2: the date. Yes, (laughs) yes, well, now it all makes sense. Well, Well, it's even funnier, so I write this long letter. I FedEx it over to Germany, right? A yep. couple of well probably two weeks later I get a call from a man named Klaus Volgemuth, who was the manager of vehicle distribution and um and um um logistics of Porsche Cars America. Sure. And Nick Volgemoth informed me that the um you know, letter did, in fact, get to Dr. Porsche. And oh. it now is in the hands of a man named Hans Halbach, who then was executive vice president, head of worldwide sales and marketing. And Mr. Halbach had personally approved that I could have a leather dashboard.
0: Okay, so this, this so right now the car is still kind of a, a figment of your imagination. It's still, the right? bottom
2: of the line, yeah, it's still the bottom of the line Porsche but it now has a leather dashboard, right? <laughs> Okay. So, um, you know, so, um, so the order went in because Nick Volgamuth wasn't in charge of ordering for the U.S., right? And probably, I don't know, four or five weeks later, I get a phone call and it goes, Mr. Linton, this is you know, Nick Volgamuth. I've just been told that 1989 will be the last year of the 930 Turbo. Do you think you might like to upgrade? Right, And I said, why not, Mr. Volgamuth, let's go for, for a turbo, right? And then another four or five weeks pass, and there goes Mr. Volgamuth calling again. And he says, you know, 1989 is also going to be the last year of the 930 Turbo Cabriolet. Would I like to upgrade to that? <laughs> I said, okay, let's do it again. So we pulled the order back again. Now, six, seven weeks go by. And you're riding a bus every day.
0: (laughs) You're you're on a bus, right? Are you taking a cab or what?
2: No, 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 no. I'm, you know, sitting on a phone. I'm either in my office or. No, I meant
0: when you're taking your girl out to, you know, you don't have the M6. It's getting painted by the the, the fanatical guy.
2: Right. I have absolutely nothing. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, I've absolutely nothing. Right. And there goes Mr. Volgamuth again. And he says, Mr. Linton, this is going to be the last year of the flat nose. And I didn't know what the hell a flat nose was, in all (laughs) candor. So he sent me a nice brochure which showed me, you know, all things about the flat nose. (laughs) And so somehow it was upgraded to be a flat nose or flachbau, as the Germans call it, Mm -hmm. right? And so by sheer accident, because the order was pulled back so much, it became the last 930 ever built. The last 930 turbo cab ever built and the last flat nose ever built pure accident right and right when the fun started well I was going <laughs> so so to say it because you're not having fun the, yet the only
1: custom part is not just this leather dashboard uh,
2: at that point it still was
1: okay so how does it go from there
2: it still was well then at one point I used to do a bit of car Audio, right? And and I knew people at various of the car audio.
1: Yeah, I, I read you had other cars on regions. on magazine covers with audio systems yeah, and everything yeah, else. Yeah,
2: yeah, right.
1: Which I want right, to take and, a little and, tangent. And what what kind of cars are these that you have these massive stereo systems in before?
2: They It, it was mainly in the M6 and in the Camaro before that. Okay. I'm
0: imagining like the Blaupunkt gooseneck things with the little UV meters no, that bounce around. No.
2: No, no, nothing that, uh, let's say, noticeable. No, this was all restrained, (laughs) hidden. It it was very good audio, but it didn't jump out at you and say, here I am, here I am.
0: Would you consider yourself an audiophile?
2: No. No? I would consider myself liking nice sound.
0: Okay, okay, (laughs) all right.
2: All right. And so the people I knew in the audio world heard this was the last of these things and they and i had some conversations and they wanted to put a big audio system in now i knew enough about car audio to know that frankly i didn't want them to do it because you know in those days they use hot glue and all sorts of things which really didn't help and most of the installs were pretty sloppy so i was trying to be nice and i said gee guys uh, you can put an audio system in under two conditions. One, you've got to go to you know Germany to do it at your own expense, and two, Porsche has to allow you to do it. Mm. And I was a hundred percent sure that they wouldn't <laughs> want to spend the money to go to Germany, and I was three hundred percent sure that Porsche would never let them do it.
0: They were never going right, to let some car, car audio install guys into the Porsche factory. And they no were way.
2: Let, I, no way in hell, no way. or you know, outsiders, right? But, um, but um, by that time, because of the letter to you know, Dr. Porsche, I got into contact with a man named Rolf Springer, who was the founder of Sunderwunsch and that whole you know genre of things that Porsche had called special wishes. Today they call it exclusive manufacturer, but the roots of it are Sunderwunsch. Right, and that was Rolf Springer, who, by the way, was the engineer at Porsche, who did the first fuel injection for Porsche. Oh, completely interesting! Completely different. However, and so I called Mr. Springer about these audio guys would like to come over there and build this stereo. And much to my surprise, he said, "Okay." <laughs> and, and um... and the audio guys had prior to that already said that they will spend the money to do it. Wow. So now I had the two things I never expected to happen, which is Porsche said yes, and Mr. <laughs> Ringer said yes. Um, and so one day, I guess sometimes in 1989, four stereo guys, one from Germany, three from, I'm going to actually make that five. Um, there was one from Germany and four from here in the US, descended upon Porsche, and I came <laughs> with them, right? And they had already sent literally a full shipping container, you know those like 40 foot containers. yeah full of stereo equipment, like one of each in case they needed this, there was no time to you know order something. It all was there, whatever they needed, right? Wow. And they sat in Zuvenhausen for over a month and came into work in you know the Porsche factory every morning at 6:30 a.m. And we all worked till 5 p.m. And they built a totally custom stereo for one car.
1: I have to ask, why was this in their interest to do this? To spend all of this money to customize a single car? Was it just basically the publicity of this being the last 930? It was
2: just publicity. That's all it was. Wow. Plus, you know, people are enthused about doing things because they're different. And they wanted to do it.
0: Well, this is also a different period of time As if they go over there, they do this, the it thing ends up on different. Car Stereo Magazine, it's on the cover, everybody's looking at the yeah. catalogs, the ads, everything. I mean, it's it's, it's how things it were done. some
2: of that, absolutely, right? Except, they, except Porsche, for instance, rebuilt the Cabriolet top mechanism so they could put slightly different speakers in back. They built the units. <laughs> you could put two big subwoofers in it. Everything was rewired. Porsche did the wiring, they frankly wouldn't um, let the stereo guys do it. The Porsche electronics guys did it. You did not put a bunch
0: M of probably. lamp cord in there for speaker <laughs> wire.
2: And there was no lamp cord. In fact, it even has gold-plated fuses. In fact, the housing for it, for for you know, all the fuses and controllers, Porsche made that out of magnesium.
0: Wow. <laughs> well, wh- why do you think experiment. they did this? Why? Why do you think Porsche allowed I it?
2: Think- Honest to gosh, it started with, I think the truth is, nobody wanted another letter to Herr Professor, Dr. Engineer Ferdinand Porsche. Huh. It's, it's kind of rolled downhill, right? And, 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 and frankly, by that point, except for Mr. Springer, who was ready to kill me every morning, <laughs> he'd never seen a thing like this, these guys invading his workshops, right? Although the workers themselves were having a great time yeah, the Porsche workers, some of whom are still there, really had a good time. And, and we all became friends. I mean, we went to lunch every day. We did all the things you you know normally do, yeah, um when you work, right? So nobody thought at the end of it it was a bad idea, other than Rolf Springer again, who frankly, and just died a few months ago. But Rolf Springer and I spent two years basically ready to kill each other, and we became <laughs> very good friends after this. No, no, I said on the Instagram months and months ago that any project, I don't care if it's a car, a plane, a boat, a house, it has three phases. At phase one, everybody loves each other. At phase two, which is in the middle of it, everybody hates each other. And at phase three, everybody wants to credit. It never fails. <laughs> Absolutely never fails. Any type project like this. But it just had a life of its own. There's nothing that's happened before or since quite, quite like that. So I'm wondering
0: which you drove first, the M6 or the the 930. Which which ended up getting done?
2: Uh, the M6 made it a little sooner, as it turned out. But to, um,
0: and was it black you know, enough for you? I, I'm just wondering if the paint it
2: was it it it, it, it was perfect and 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 you know, the paint matched that we couldn't match the BMW black right literally but... couldn't match it, hmm. and that was the only reason that you know started. But getting back to the slant nose as. As it was sitting in the factory for, you know, two years, various people were taking turns. You know, the head of finance saw one plastic part and said, we have to leather cover this. Somebody else looked at something else. I looked at things. And lo and behold, things just kept on happening. I mean, the car has rain sensors if you go out on a picnic and, and you have the top down. And it rains; it'll close the top. It'll lock the doors. It'll arm the alarm and beat me on a remote, um, wow. on a transmitter. Yeah. It has all sorts of crazy things. It has some very different mechanical components. Uh, it has I don't know three, four hundred leather parts. There, I mean, it, what are some of the things that are the
0: most... that are wrapped in leather that would surprise us? Uh,
2: the gauges are pretty simple. Uh even the little um the trip reset button is all leather. Wow.
0: So you're saying the, the bezels uh, that go around the gauges are leather as well?
2: Absolutely. And the actual gauge faces and each gauge face was silk screened by hand to put the numbers. The tire pressure gauge, the little <laughs> pressure gauge, it's all leather, and its face is leather too. I mean the T molding at the edge of the doors, you know, the plastic T molding, which you know, finishes off doors, that's all leather. So, Anything you can come up with is leather.
1: Was was this all specified by you, Robert? Or is this something where, as you're saying, all these people at Porsche are coming to look at this, and it, is it maybe the sense that, okay, we know this is going to be a special car, so it just kind of kept going?
2: I think all of us were coming up with things together, yes. And... And you get to the point that you've gone so far that some worker might say or I might say, well, how about this? Or how about this? And it just kept on going until there was nothing left to say, how about this?
0: <laughs> so how did the Seriously. first date go?
2: <laughs> Not so great. However, <laughs> uh, you know, moving, moving on forward, but no, it just took on a life of its own. And two years later, it was done.
1: And so, did you uh, take delivery there in Germany, or did you have it shipped back home? What was the um, first actually, instance of you driving the one this
2: car? Thing I learned in any project like this, you can't be too you know thousands of miles away and have it work well. So during the build, as people call it, I made four trips over there. Sure, right to check on things, to look at things, discuss things, blah 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 blah. And I made a trip the day that they were going to ship it, and it, and it of course, was you know air shipped. Because no, I mean Porsche actually had guards going, you know, going from Germany here, because they didn't want anything to happen to it. Because frankly, Mr. Springer didn't want to have to do it again. <laughs> it was that simple. I wanted to make sure it wasn't coming back. <laughs>
1: So what was your first drive in this car like? Because now at this point it is such a jewel of engineering and manufacturing that I mean you have to hold this thing on a pedestal.
2: Well, and that's the problem. It 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 became literally the most customized car Porsche ever built and in many ways in the you know in the modern world it might be the most customized car out of, you know, a factory business. it is all factory every piece of it. There's no Nothing has been done to that car after it left, right? I've only driven it about 100 miles in all these years because the day it left, the head electronics worker who was, a, who was a guy named Udo Erle, Udo looked at me and said, Mr. Linton, this is no longer a car. This is automotive sculpture. Seriously, that's what he said. And suddenly it became too good to drive.
0: Hmm. What do you mean by too good to drive? It was just something that just, it became more than a car, right? It just became, it's a a masterpiece of what humans could do if you kept pushing and pushing and pushing. It
2: actually, yeah, it became, it became art. It became certainly automotive art. It became a bit of history. And it just became something that you didn't want to screw up.
0: So it's, it's one of the few instances where, a car is art first and machine second, right? Because usually it's a machine that you want to use and drive, but it's still an art piece. You know, it was still designed. It's still beautiful. But in this case, it's the Um, reverse. And that's very, very rare.
2: Yeah. And a lot of the mechanicals of it became a bit of art too in truth. Um, It it was not just a decorative exercise. It was a whole lot of things, but um, it just was very, very special. And my plan, of course, is when I, you know, die at some point, I'm going to give it back to Porsche. Yeah. Because I don't have anybody to give it to. And I've I've had lots of offers to, you know, sell it, make a lot of money. But I never did because uh, somebody would buy it and they might ruin it. And that didn't make any sense to me.
1: Right. So you got this car home now and it is a masterpiece. Did you then go out to the Porsche dealership and buy another 930 to actually drive around in? You couldn't. It was the last one.
0: Oh, true. I suppose you
1: can't get another one. He
0: missed the.
2: (laughs) The ship has sailed on that. No. Actually, the real truth is what happened. I had my M6. I was driving that, right? And that was fine. And, of course, then I got into more and more of my real work, so there was less and less time to do anything. But then, back in 92, I thought, hey, I'm going to get a simple Porsche (laughs) to drive. Sure. That was exactly the plan. Um, so you remember in 1989, as Dr. Porsche's 80th birthday gift, yes. I gave him a sort of greenish looking car. It was called the Panamericana. Yes. Remember that thing? I don't think Dr. Porsche particularly liked it, but I did. Okay. And I kind of wondered, uh, well, well, I kind of thought that I would like something a bit like that. So because of my first Porsche experience I got to know a lot of people at Porsche including the then head of styling and I went to him and said could one do something like the Panamericana for me so we basically took the wide body cab and came up with a color frankly I thought was better than um the one of Dr Porsche's car and an interior which was a multicolored silk screen leather and a bunch of other things and it was really the sun of the Panamericana. Yeah, this and thing is red, a car,
1: red. This thing is green and purple and kind of like the height of 1989 styling it seems like.
2: Uh it is green on the outside in fact it's it's a green which has undertones of purple and silver. And inside it is this multicolored leather with some purplish trim and purple seat belts. Um, and again, the long story is instead of becoming a simpler car, <laughs> it became extremely complex, and that too was like a two-plus year job.
1: What I find fascinating about this car, Robert, is I heard that because the seat belts were purple and that had never been done before, and there were a couple other components like a zipper that were purple. It did it need to be crash tested individually? Did I read that?
2: Well, you read you read it about the seat belts correctly and actually it got funnier because I didn't ask for the purple seat belts or for the purple zipper in the rear window. Um, you know Mr. Leguy, the head of design did. And so well the story is one day uh, Telex came into Porsche cars NA from you know from Germany to um to that Mr. Volgamuth, who worked on the you know, on the flat nose sure. saying we have like a fifty thousand dollar bill for your client Lyndon because of the seat belts and one zipper. <laughs> because to begin with, you can't order one zipper. You order like five hundred of them, He you don't order a few yards of a special fabric, you order a bunch of the fabric, you know, hundreds of yards. And there was a big To do when they finally decided, since I didn't ask for it, in fact, styling asked for it, they they couldn't really bill me for it. Hmm. And yes, they had to test all that. And then when they built a hard top for that car, which, as far as I know, is the only hard top they ever built with a fully electric um, sunroof and an electric heated rear windshield, that too had to be crashed.
0: So I, wow. I'm just, I'm wondering, as I'm thinking about you, you know, the, the paint didn't match and you had to, on the M6 and you had to have this guy do it and he, and he did it like a Bugatti and it's just this crazy amount of work. It's like two years, four years. And then you order this 930 and it snowballs into this huge thing and it's, you know, leather face gauges and the odometer reset is leather. And, and when a girl gets in the car, she immediately shapeshifts and she's wearing a leather skirt. I imagine <laughs> that's, that's what happens. And then you've got this other car with the, with the purple gauges and the seat belts and everything like that. And this is, this is, it's weird, right? It's a little bit crazy. And I'm wondering what you get out of this when you do this. And what what does the satisfaction come from when you, when you finally receive the car and it's yours and it's what you wanted it to be? What, what emotions, what feelings are you getting from doing this?
2: Honestly, only that it's finished. (laughs)
0: so do you are you saying you like the process more than you like the finished outcome
2: no 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 that's not what i said either i said i like when it's done
0: it's interesting somehow
2: these things take um it's not that i'm dying to have it or i need it it just seems like the right thing to do at the moment and when it's done you just move on to you know whatever comes next
0: so are they as special to you when you get them as when they're done? You know, is or when they're in process as when they're done? When it's in process, are you super into it and then when it's done you're like, "All right, that's enough."
2: Um super into it. I'm afraid not the right phrase. It's not super into it in that this is, you know, it's it it is really something to finish.
1: Speaking of which, Robert, so the America GS turns out to be one-of-one. One. It's a complete one-off custom build from Porsche. But then yeah, you went on to extensively modify the car.
2: Well, it got a little out of hand again. I kind of <laughs> take a little bit of, the thought was to take a little bit of weight off, right? And it's that slippery slope. And suddenly... It, became more and more, and it became an issue of how much could we actually take off and still leave the car.
0: So it became a concept exercise of lightweighting.
2: It became an exercise to see what, from an engineering point of view, meaning nothing was just stripped out, absolutely nothing. Right? We didn't eliminate anything. It didn't lose the air conditioner or the carpet or the leather or the audio or anything.
0: What was it the was reason? The Why did you want to start doing this? There.
2: What to just
0: to, 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 yeah, yeah, just do the light weighting to start seeing how light you could get it. What 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 was the reason behind starting to do that? Was there something happened or an impetus or
2: no? I thought it was a good exercise to, to you know see what it could be done. And Porsche has a long-standing history of taking weight off of cars.
0: Yeah, I've heard stories and, of when they uh, they're at the track and they're trying to figure out how to pull weight out of cars for every a um, couple of kilos that they could get out of the car, they'd get a case of wine. Because once you get something so light, <laughs> there's really nothing you can take out. And a pound here and a pound there is a huge accomplishment.
2: Well, but those days were probably when there wasn't the engineering and materials. Oh, sure. Fact, we have now. So it's there's a lot more you can do today. And we took about 1,500 pounds off of that car. Wow. And that's a tremendous amount.
0: Tell us a few um, of the challenges again, and some of the things you ran into stripping the car like this. What, that's that's a lot of weight. That's ridiculous. That's honestly insane. Where did the weight come from? It
2: was just good. It was good engineering. It, it was looking everywhere. And all, although the funny thing is, except for the front hood, the doors and the fenders are, and, and the roof are still steel. For only one reason, it was too easy to actually replace those with carbon. We did the hood just to show what a really good hood looks like, because most of the carbon stuff out there is junk.
0: Oh, totally.
2: So it was just a, here. Here is what a really first-class hood looks like. Otherwise, that car also has steel body panels, and we still got fifteen hundred pounds off of it. Wow.
0: Where, where was I some? Mean, where I mean, the some of this? Are we
2: talking? is real carbon.
0: Are we talking nuts and bolts being changed from steel to titanium? Like, where where is, because it's little by little by little,
2: right? Yeah, and that was some of it. There are very few big wins in a car. You know, you do the wheels and you replace uh, aluminum wheels with, you know, mag, and that's a big win. But there aren't many of those out there. And, And, by the way, the car still has a Tiptronic. And still, we got fifteen hundred pounds off. And the Tiptronic <laughs> weighs about forty pounds more than you know a manual. And it also has a metal roll key, hoop, which weighs a lot of a lot.
0: Do you do you weigh yourself before you get in the car? Off. Do you consider what you're <laughs> no, eating for dinner no. or anything?
2: Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Probably probably the biggest compliment was a few years ago, Norbert Singer. Have, have you ever come across Mr. Singer? Oh, sure. Right. Miss, um, you know, Mr. Singer was here in the U.S., and he was looking at the car, and he said that the most amazing thing about it was that it still was a car, meaning nothing had been stripped, nothing had been lost. Hmm. It was a perfectly comfortable street car. So, Robert, knowing... pounds less of it.
1: Knowing how much work you've put into this, and people can, can follow you on Instagram, and you're on RenList, of course, as well. And we'll put that in the show notes if you, you want to follow being
2: him. being on RenList. I've, I've actually stopped.
1: Okay. Thing. I, I know there there Sorry. were some uh, photos that I came across. And so just knowing how much work went into this car, you talk about your 930 basically just b- being all factory. Nothing is aftermarket on that car. Nothing has been changed Nothing. because it is u- so unique. The same could be said for this America GS. It was so unique, one of one. Why change all of this? Why not just buy another 964 chassis to do all of this experimenting on?
2: It just lent itself to it. I I mean, there's no rationally terribly great reason. It just seemed like that was a car to do it to, as the nine eleven R, the you know, twenty sixteen car seems like a good car to do some of this to. We're not going by any means to the same extent. But it will have beryllium brakes, it will have a carbon fiber gearbox, which no Porsche has ever had, race or street. In fact the only cars that ever have had carbon fiber gearboxes Are a few Formula One cars and the Audi LMPA, sorry, the Audi R18, which you know, which was an LMP1 car. As far as beryllium brakes, aside from the uh, R and and the 964 car, there hasn't been a car in the world that has beryllium brakes except three F1 cars back 20 years ago.
0: What's beryllium? I don't know what beryllium
2: is. Beryllium is an element. It's it's actually a metal. Nor it, it was used by three F1 teams to make their brake calipers until um, F1 banned it because the other teams just couldn't do it. So it's been banned since 2001. Brillium is used more extensively for you know parts of you know fighter aircraft and for spacecraft. It's very light, very strong.
0: Okay, so it's, it's basically it's a core a element. It's not an percent. alloy of any kind.
2: No, no, it is a core element.
0: So it's, where yeah. do you mine this stuff? What What is the, <laughs> you know, I'm, I just don't know anything about beryllium. I'm very curious.
2: I don't know where you get it from in truth. Never looked. I know what it is and have for years.
0: I'm sure you just got to dig, dig for G- it G- just G- like everything G- else.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, I'm sure you do. And there are very few people on earth who know how to design a beryllium cal- um caliper. Because is it something that's
0: forged or cast or... Uh, out of you
2: a... have forged, no, no, you have a forged billet, and then you machine it. Okay. Uh, there's some thought about printing it, but nobody believes it'll be strong enough. So, uh, so this will be out of, it'll be machined out of forgings.
1: A lot of these engineering exercises in the America GS seem to influence motorsport parts that you are actually producing through your company Cartridge Limited, is that correct?
2: No. Um, I haven't done any motorsport parts since, I don't know, 2006 or 7. Okay. Because at one point I supplied Porsche itself with lots of parts for the RSRs around the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did induction systems, oil tanks, axles, wiring harnesses, a whole bunch of things for the RSRs. Just for the RSRs, not for anything else.
0: Was this something that Porsche saw that you were doing with your... On personal projects and they just called up one day and said, hey, we, you're the guy that wrote us the letter about the 930 a long time ago. <laughs> We'd like no, you to build something for us.
2: No, it's really that I have quite a few friends at Porsche AG and somehow it just came up and they were back then in you know, 2000, 2005 having a hard time getting people to make really good carbon fiber parts and some of the other parts. So I kind of just volunteered and did it. Wow. Just happened. Well,
1: it's it's amazing. I'm I'm realizing you are the guy that doesn't do anything halfway between these custom orders from generally Porsche. Generally not. <laughs> no, I'm
2: generally not much of a half way. Uh, I think it was George Herbert Walker Bush you know, Bush one, if you will, that said close counts only in horseshoes and hand grenades. Yes. And I think he was correct. Um, uh, you either are gonna do it right or you don't bother doing it. The halfway step is just a waste of time. and And that applies to everything, I think.
0: so as I'm curious to see if this this uh, habit that you have accrued to to do everything right and and push the envelope on these cars. Has this gone into any other areas of your life? I mean, do you have a car, do you have a audio stuff at home. I mean, what kind of home do you live in? Is this kind of stuff bled into any other facets of what you do?
2: It generally bleeds into most of what I do. In fact, probably all of it.
0: I wonder what your refrigerator looks like. When you (laughs) open the refrigerator and you look in there, like are all the labels facing exactly the right way and all the meat is actually in the meat meat drawer? Unlike my fridge. (laughs) Do
2: You actually want to know what's in my refrigerator? (laughs) Sure. But the truth, (laughs) there's some bottles of Poland spring water, some plastic bottles, and there are a few cans of... um, Club soda, which is the best thing to take when a cat, you know, throws up fur balls. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing to clean it with is club soda. And that's all that's in my refrigerator.
0: <laughs> yeah, Robert, so I did myth, notice. I
2: don't cook. I don't own a pot or a pan, in truth.
0: Wow. So you eat out.
2: Yep. All, although, for the last year plus, I've eaten in this restaurant <laughs> exactly. because of COVID. I suppose. i suppose. I going to order in and, you know. But no, my you know, refrigerator is totally empty. My so where has this bled into your in life then? Are, uh, it's bled. Hold on, excuse me for one minute. It it has bled into you know, uh, the things in my apartment. It it's bled into some of the things I do outside of my normal work. It bleeds into just about everything, actually.
1: Well, Robert, it has been All amazing right, having I you. Do it right. Yeah, and that's, I think, a good way to cap off the interview here. Robert, you do things right, and we appreciate the amazing stories you have and the experiences and sharing those with us. Um, I think people, you're still updating on Instagram. People can follow you at Robert Linton. Is that correct?
2: It is actually Robert Linton and then the number one. Just, All right. You know, Someone beat you to it. Robert Linton won. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, huge thanks to you, Robert. I will be sure to follow you on Instagram. All of our listeners can as well. You post, besides cat pictures, amazing works that you're working on for your cars. Now, before we get too much further, let's take a break here and talk about our sponsor, Oberk Car Care. Oberk is your source of professional detailing compounds and supplies that is research tested and developed by professional detailers themselves. These are the guys that are actually passionate about detailing and know firsthand what makes a good product. And they truly are great products. I love It's a simple, foolproof, two-step system. Easy and gives an amazing finish. And right now, they're offering a whopping 20% off your order when you use the code Overcrest. The discount code is good not only on overcarcare.com, but also on detailedimage.com and carsupplieswarehouse.com. Please go check them out today. All right. Huge thanks to Robert. I think... My takeaway was like you—you you don't do
0: things halfway, do you? No, products? no, no. And 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 the thing is, when you look at—I'm most interested in the person that does this exactly. And, and you would think the answer would be fairly complex, like, oh yeah, I don't know, it's just all these different things, it's just, it's things that happen in my life. And the guy's just like, why not? Yeah. I can, so why not? Yeah. And I think we can all kind of take a lesson from that, of and on a smaller scale, of why not. Yep. You know, come to the rally. Why not? Right? Or, or you know, go for a drive. Why not? Or try that new food. Why not? Just why not? Just why Says not? the guy that only eats Heinz ketchup on, I would say, toddler food. I know. I've been trying new food. Yeah? Yeah, I have. I've been really trying to be open with my palate Should we palate go check choices. out a sushi place? And I think, no, I don't want sushi. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't want raw meat. That just doesn't sound good. <laughs> not everybody's going to be why not to everything, but I think we should all find our why nots okay. and, and try and like exacerbate our why nots. We've all got our why nots. Find yours and why not the hell out
1: of it. <laughs> All right. On that note, we will see you guys on
0: Friday. Take care. The
2: top of the top